Well, before we open up the Word of God this morning, church family, let's bow once more uh, as we commit our time uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for words, Uh, even though sometimes they may fall short uh, of uh, everything that we may be thinking, uh, Lord, we do thank you that we can use them to communicate uh, to you, uh, that we have the ability uh, to see uh, how you've revealed yourself uh, in your word, uh, which is a love letter to us full of words that Uh, have meaning not only for uh, our time here on earth, but uh, things yet to come. Uh, And so, Father, as we uh, take time to open up your eternal word, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive it, uh, that your spirit would work mightily uh, in us, uh, the spirit that is holy, just like the Son who is holy, and the Father, uh, you who are holy. And so, Father, guide our time this morning, and may we see uh, as Paul continues to Uh, pin these words, uh, three aspects of what the church is like, uh, as it's seen in light of uh, a kingdom, uh, a family, uh, as well uh, as, uh, uh, my mind escapes me, my third point this morning. Uh, And see, that's what happens when uh, our minds uh, end up getting older. Uh, But Lord, we do thank you for it, and uh, we'll find out what that is in a moment. In Jesus' name, amen. A temple, there you go. That's why I've got notes in front of myself. So uh, the sad thing was I didn't stay up that late. That's the problem. Uh, well, if you know, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter two, uh, because God has given us our, our, uh, His Word so that we can remember, so we can uh, rehearse, so we can know Him that much better. Uh, And as you know, we've been in this second section of chapter 2, as we've seen uh, Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, paint this picture of what Christ has accomplished in salvation, uh, what he has done in breaking down and eliminating uh, not only an ethnic separation between Jew and Gentile, but a spiritual separation uh, for those that uh, are Gentile by birth being separated from Christ. Uh, not part of uh, the household of Israel. Uh, And uh, we see that now in Christ, those who have been uh, afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, And then last week, we we took a look at Jesus, who is our peace, because he is the only one who can uh, take what uh, has been broken due to sin and take that hostility that we have towards God and his laws and his ways and the holiness that we sung about this morning uh, and kill it. Uh, And so he is uh, our peace. He is also our peacemaker because only he can reconcile us to God. Uh, There's no other way. Uh, He was sent uh, as the redeemer, as the savior, Uh, the only one who can give us access to the father Uh, as we took a look at the last uh, point last week uh, in relation to him being our passport, giving us access, giving us all the rights and privileges as sons and daughters of God. Uh, And so today, uh, we're going to see as we close out chapter 2 in verses 19 through 22, uh, three aspects that Paul is going to point out, three illustrations that give us a, a larger and grander picture of what Uh, The church is, uh, which we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. 
Uh, and the church is something that Christ, through his blood, has unified into one body. Uh, there are not separate bodies when it comes to his bride. There is one bride, uh, and that bride is the church. And so what he does is he gives us three uh, illustrations as to what the church looks like. So the t- today's title is the, C- the Church Scene in Light of First a Kingdom. So take a look at verse 19 of chapter 2 with me as I read So then, so everything that we've taken a look at contextually, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in this verse here, we have uh, something we need to take a look at first to remind us of who we were, what we were, what characterized us before we became part of God's kingdom. Uh, Paul says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. See, there was a time when you were a stranger and an alien to God's kingdom because you were part of the kingdom of this world. You loved everything that this world uh, represented, and as a stranger, you were estranged from God and his ways. Uh, You had no desire for them. You were ignorant uh, to the things of, of the Lord. And as an alien... You were a foreigner. You were like someone from another country. You know, have you ever, you know, taken any time to travel, you know, to another country? I've only had the chance to go into to Canada uh, and short of a few words that they say differently. Uh, and instead of saying napkin, they say serviette. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of A in a lot of their vernacular. Uh, but, you know, when you go to that other country, you can realize that you, you feel as though you're an alien. You're a stranger to their customs, their ways, um, but you're just not part of that country. Um, and, you know, sometimes people will try and act like they know what the culture is like or what the country is like and what the people are, are like and oftentimes fail miserably uh, as they try and, you know, mimic a, an accent, mimic a, a language uh, but the, the fact is, is that they're a foreigner. Uh, they ha- did not grow up and, and were raised in that family. Um, Paul, in, in later on, if you look over in chapter 4 of Ephesians, um, he, in speaking to the Gentiles, uh, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See, there was a time when we were aliens to God's kingdom. You know, and the thing is, is there are people that speak as though they're part of God's kingdom. They use some of the same words. Uh, they, they, they make it, you know, appear, though, from uh, externally, they are part of God's kingdom when, in fact, internally, there's been no change of heart. Because they are very religious people trying to do their very best in their own power to show that they are from God's kingdom, but they are darkened in their understanding. Uh, they are ignorant They have a hard heart, and therefore they are alienated from the life of God. And that's who we were. So, uh, and Paul says here, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer those individuals because you've been brought in by the blood of Christ. You are part of God's kingdom now. And as we take a look at the scriptures too, there is uh, a a sadness uh, that comes in relation to God's kingdom and, and the fact that there is going to be an eternal alienation of some people. 
because not everyone is part of God's kingdom. Not everyone will, when they die, immediately become part of God's kingdom. And we know this from Matthew chapter 7, because there is a final eternal alienation that's going to happen uh, for many people. And it says here, not everyone who says to me, in verse 21, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, who does the will of the Father in heaven? Only those who have been bought and paid for, have been redeemed, have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 goes on to say, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them words no one would ever want to hear. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, they, they, they prophesied in Jesus' name. They cast out demons in his name. They did mighty works in his name. But the thing is, is they were doing those in the power of Satan. They weren't part of God's kingdom. And that's why when Jesus looks at them, what he sees is someone who is an alien, someone who is a stranger, someone who is not part of his kingdom because they are, have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They have not been brought near by Jesus Christ. And so he says, I never knew you depart from me. So that will be the final eternal alienation. But see, that's not who we are. Everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is no longer a stranger and alien. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints. There's that wonderful word, but once again where it shows us the contrast, it shows us that, yes, this is who we used to be, but now this is who we are because of Jesus Christ in us. See, we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are part of God's country, people consecrated to God, people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, enjoying all the rights, the duties, the privileges, the protections, and the benefits. See, for those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are united into one eternal kingdom of God. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He says, we were once alienated, but now through Christ we've been reconciled. In the book of Philippians, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he uses this word fellow citizens. So you're either a citizen of this world, enjoying everything that this world has to offer, or you're a citizen of heaven. There's no in-between. is one or the other. Either you are spiritually in darkness or you're in uh, light. Either you are dead in your trespasses and sins or made alive in Christ. See, we are a citizen of heaven. And so what does this actual kingdom of God, this citizen of heaven, look like? What characterizes it? Well, the scriptures are not silent about God's kingdom. Uh, And these are all aspects that, as a, a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you can take these home and realize just how amazing, how wonderful, and how good God is to us to make us part of his kingdom and to take us out of the kingdom of this world. 
So let's take a couple of minutes just working through uh, various scriptures. You do not have to turn to all of them. You can jot down references if you like. Uh, <clears throat> because I'm going to give you eight things in relation to this kingdom. Uh, and the first is it's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, we know this from uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So one of the first identifying markers of this kingdom is that it is spiritual in nature. For everyone who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are now clothed in His righteousness. We are now at peace with God. We now enjoy joy itself in the Holy Spirit, who God has put in every believer. So it is a spiritual kingdom. Second, it is a powerful kingdom. Because 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It is a powerful kingdom because Almighty God, the one from whom all power comes from, the one who exercises that power to keep his kingdom a perfectly holy and righteous kingdom, is the one who keeps it by his power, And not only that, but uses the power of that kingdom to work in and through you as believers in Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit resides in us, so that we have the power of Almighty God working in us to convict us of sin, to cause us to come together like we have this morning, to lift our voices in worship, to engage and to commune with the living God, something we could not do in the kingdom of this world. So it's a spiritual kingdom, it's a powerful kingdom, it is an everlasting kingdom. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. The reason it is an everlasting kingdom is because God is eternal. And the eternal God has a kingdom that no one can stop, no one can put an end to. It's eternal, it's everlasting through all our generations and into eternity itself. And we will be part of that kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's right. It's also a restricted kingdom, which this is one of those things that is is a hard one sometimes to swallow. Because wouldn't it be great if everyone could be part of God's kingdom? But the sad fact, the sad reality is, is that many are not part of God's kingdom. Matter of fact, uh, as the scriptures say, they suppress the truth. They press it down. They want nothing to do with God because they are strangers and aliens to God and his ways. Uh, As Paul has already pointed out, that that's not what characterizes us any longer. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not... And I repeat, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Okay, And this is important because we live in a day and age, we live in a culture that is deceived by Satan himself, deceived by their own selfishness, deceived by their own sin to think that God will accept me the way I am. No, because if he could accept man for the way he is, then Jesus did not need to come. Jesus did not need to die. His sacrifice was not needed. See, God cannot accept us the way we are because we are sinful. 
We are rotten in the nostrils of Almighty God. That's why Christ's sacrifice was a sweet aroma, the scriptures tell us, in the nostrils of God. So how can Christ, his son, sacrificing himself on Calvary be a sweet aroma? Because that meant his wrath on our sin was appeased. And so through faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, we can enjoy being part of his kingdom. It says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty black and white, isn't it? Because either you're part of God's kingdom or you're part of the kingdom of this world. And they do not intertwine with one another. They don't mesh. There's no common ground. Because if there was, then Jesus did not need to die. But see, once were some of us, as it goes on to say in verse 11, and such were some of you, but, and there's that connector word again, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, that's what's happened. We've, we've, we've been changed so that we can actually be citizens of the kingdom of God. Because in and of ourselves, we do not have the capacity to be righteous like God. We cannot be part of his kingdom and all that full list. And no matter what the culture may say, no matter what churches may embrace from the culture, does not change the truth. None of those individuals, if that is what characterizes their life, if they are still dead in their trespasses and sins, then they will never, ever be a part of the kingdom of God. Because they need Jesus Christ. They need his salvation. They need to be washed, as it says here, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it is a restricted kingdom. Four more. It is also a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We know this from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. See, God's kingdom cannot be shaken because it is almighty God's kingdom. And all of the powers, all of the, the, the men, women, and children of this world can do nothing to affect God's kingdom. It is unshakable. That is why he is worthy of worship. And as that, that scripture goes on to say, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because we have the privilege of coming into the presence of Almighty God. We have his spirit residing in us as believers. It also is a kingdom not of this world, which makes perfect sense. As we look at John eighteen thirty six. and this is Jesus speaking. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So there is the divide once again. It's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. And Jesus says his kingdom is not of the world. So you can't be like the world. You can't live like the world. You can't be of the world. Now, we as believers can live in that world, 
And as we'll see that we are that, that light and darkness, that we have the opportunity to, to be living as, uh, you know, an example of the church being the pillar and the buttress of truth in that world, but we're not of it. We've been redeemed out of it so that we're part of God's kingdom. Two more. It's a kingdom we are commanded to seek. Matthew six thirty three a But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because you're not citizens of this world anymore. You're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So that is what you're supposed to seek. You're commanded to do so. And last, a kingdom that we pray to come. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's kingdom to become because it is a righteous kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's a powerful kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom not of this world, a kingdom that we seek because we want to be with our Savior forever and ever and ever. To love him because he first loved us. So the church is seen in light of a kingdom because we are no longer strangers and aliens to God, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. The second picture that Paul gives us actually is in that same verse, verse 19. And that is the church seen in light of a family. You'll know that when I come together, often I will refer to you as church family because that's one of the pictures that we are given in the New Testament as to what the church is. And we see that right there at the end of verse 19, and members of the household of God, a household, part of a family. See, Christ has brought us into God's household, so we are reunited into one eternal family of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you always like every part of that family. There are some brothers and sisters in Christ that, you know, you may not get along with because their personalities are different, maybe because they're better looking. I'm not referring to myself. They say bald is beautiful, right? But see, we're part of a family. Matter of fact, you can look in the New Testament and you'll see all kinds of words that are used, adoption, sons, daughters. we, We can come to God as our heavenly father. Okay, all those you know, words that are used are there to, to paint a picture that we are part of a family, a spiritual family, because we are part of a spiritual kingdom. And see, that's one of the things that as a body of believers, when we gather together as the church, as Ellington Baptist Church, there's something special. Not only are we part of the kingdom of God, we are part of a family. So that when you're hurting, I'm hurting. And when you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. See, the thing is, we're here to help encourage one another because there are going to be those valleys as well as those high-top experiences where we have the opportunity to, to see God work and change us and to continue that work of sanctification within us to make us more like him. Remember back in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So part of God's will is that we be part of this family. That's why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that through faith and trust in him, we can be adopted into God's family. Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 7, or 4 through 7, 
says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So sons, daughters, we can call Father, or our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. Or as we, we learn, Daddy. See, we're part of a family. We're an heir. And that's why, as we find out from the New Testament, as part of this family, part of this kingdom, is that we are distinct from the rest of the world. Because we are part of a different family. And the only way you get, become part of that family is by trusting in Christ and through his blood. That is what is common between us as a, a biblical church family. The commonality that we share, no matter you know, what our skin color is, no matter what our, our stature is, no matter where our place is, is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what ties us together. And so, therefore, that makes us distinct from the rest of the world. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says, I hope to come to you soon, Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So Paul here in writing to young Timothy for him to understand that we are part of a household, we are part of a family, and that there's ways in which we should treat one another that are different from the way that earthly families treat one another. And sometimes we enjoy uh, the, that, or seeing that working out, being a part of that working out. But then also sometimes we don't. Because sometimes we, we don't treat others within the church family the way we should. Maybe we marginalize them. Maybe we don't want to hear what they have to say because their personality is different. But see, that's not what we're commanded to do as part of the household of God. And we have to see that the, the, the uh, household of God is the church of the living God. So he's not dead. The living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So when we are functioning as a family the way we're supposed to, the rest of the world is going to see the truth of what Jesus Christ can do amongst people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different you know, uh, uh, ethnic uh, origins. Because what did Jesus do? He erased all those. He took away all that separation because we are one in Christ. A kingdom, a family, and last, the point I couldn't remember in my prayer, and I'll never forget ever again, <laughs> is a temple. That takes us to the last uh, three verses of chapter 2. So it says there, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we think about a temple and as we think about the way in which God has provided a way for us to commune with him, even going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, as I was writing this sermon, I, I thought about, you know, what the temple represented. 
uh, in the Old Testament. It was the place where God came down to meet man. And I went back to the garden. I thought, well, you know, the way that God communed with Adam and Eve is that he personally walked and talked with them in the garden. And we go to the tabernacle, which was the, uh, the, the temporary dwelling, and then to the permanent temple. Um, it was made by human hands and had limited access because only the high priest was able to go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. But then when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he walked amongst us, taking on flesh, dwelling among men, and offering himself as that once-for-all sacrifice. So Jesus, who is the exact imprint of the nature of God because he is God, came so that we could commune with him and for him to provide the way through which we could be redeemed, to become part of this kingdom, part of this household or family of God. And then the Holy Spirit, you know, because Jesus says, unless he uh, leaves, the comforter cannot come. And that comforter who is the Holy Spirit would indwell believers as the holy temple of the Lord. Your body being that temple for the Holy Spirit to commune with you 24-7. Built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Well, you know, an apostle is one who is sent out as a messenger of God. You know, a prophet is one who speaks God's truth to others. And so you have this, you know, uh, coming together of the apostles and the prophets, not that they themselves as individuals are the foundation, but it is who they are putting forth that is the foundation Because the apostles and prophets laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Because 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation. Not the individuals of the apostles and prophets. The message that they gave, what they put forth as, uh, you know, saving faith through Jesus Christ or that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That was the foundation, because there is no other foundation, because the foundations of men crumble. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone on which we are built. See, we are united into one holy temple of God. Do you notice that? That all three of these pictures, we are united into one eternal kingdom of God. We are united into one eternal family of God. We are united into one holy temple of God. Now, you need to know what the significance of the cornerstone is. You know, Jesus Christ himself being the foundation, but also the cornerstone. The cornerstone was set, you know, and and as a carpenter, what we we do in relation to any building that, that we build, there's a control upon which you pull all of your measurements from. You know, down both sides of the building, you you call that your control corner. Uh, And that's likened to what the cornerstone is, because you always pull off of that line so that everything is squared up, because that you take the time to make sure that that is the square corner of the building. See, it's the basis of every measurement, and everything aligns with that cornerstone. So think about that picture, that imagery of what Jesus Christ is. He is the one whom everything is measured off of. So he is the example. 
So we read the scriptures and we find out how Jesus lived his life and what he commanded us to do, one of which is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so that is what we use as our control. That is what we use as our measurement for everything that we do in this Christian life. It should be. doesn't mean that we always do that, but we are called and commanded to do so. Everything aligns in Christ. And when someone deviates from that, when they no longer are aligning with Christ himself or the words of Christ or the word of God, then guess what? It is no longer that holy temple. It is no longer God's temple. It's a temple of man. And we can see this happening even within our current culture because there are churches that are embracing things of this world for the sake of being, you know, uh, open and affirming. That is deviating off of the cornerstone. That is deviating from the word of God. See, the cornerstone is there as the basis of every measurement and everything aligns on that. And Paul here, he gives uh, two different um, pictures here of being joined together and being built together. This idea of being joined together uh, comes from a, a, a pretty large Greek word, sunar uh, molgeio. Uh, it means to fit or to union together in a coherent and compatible manner, like a joint. So if you've ever done any word working or if you've ever seen um, dovetails, you know, when someone does them right, they fit together as if it's one piece of wood because they take the time to, to remove everything that, that needs to be removed for those, those joints to fit together perfectly. And they're coherent because they're, there's design there. It, they're orderly, they're logical, and they look beautiful. And if you've ever seen it where they take two different types of wood that are different colors and bring them together uh, in a dovetail joint, you'll see just how beautiful and orderly that looks. But they're combati- are compatible. That means that there is nothing that is going to keep them from going together. It's not trying to put the square into the round hole. It's putting the square into the square hole. So being joined together, but then also being built together. Uh, that is a, a, a word close to uh, being joined together. It's soon oi kodo mioi. Uh, which means to build up together. So not only is it joined together, but it's building a structure, a temple. It's building the church of God. And this is done by the power of God, not by us. See, it's a growing temple. As each believer is added to it, we can find this out from First Peter chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, Jesus... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So not only are we a structure, but we're continuing to grow. We're being built because guess what? Christ does not return And Christ is still changing people's lives for eternity. Matter of fact, in three three weeks from today, we're going to have the privilege of hearing the testimonies of multiple people from our church family, uh, a couple of which just trusted Christ this year, others uh, a few years ago. See, God is building his church. He is building 
his holy temple, building it for the purpose of us being a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So there's a function by which we also grow, or we grow, but we also are growing for the purpose of putting forth, as we said, excuse me, as we said in 1 Timothy 3, uh, being the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church seen in light of a kingdom, a family, and a temple. So what, what does this all mean to us today? How should this inform our lives today? Well, I have a picture here because I think this is something that I, I, I'm not 100% sure if this is part of the reason why a temple was used as a picture of what God builds is a spiritual house. Um, if we're going back to, you know, the, the temple in the Old Testament, you know, our bodies being the temple of God. But if you remember at the very beginning when I introduced the book of Ephesians, I told you about uh, the temple of Artemis or of Diana uh, in Ephesus. Uh, and this is a, you know, uh, reproduction of what uh, they believe it looked like based off of what they still see today. Uh, and it was quite uh, a, uh, a beautiful building. Uh, the Temple of Artemis is actually considered one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, of the ancient world. It is 180 feet wide by 377 feet long, by 60 foot tall uh, columns, uh, 127 of them at the base. So it was an impressive structure. And the thing is, is that, you know, man will build these impressive structures and, you know, Artemis or Diana is a false god. And people would come in and would worship Diana or Artemis in this structure, this temple of a, a pagan god, of a god that is really of man's making, because there's only one god. And as impressive as this structure was, Look at what has happened over time. This is what's left of the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. It's ruined. It's fallen apart. Time has taken its toll. But you know what? That's not how God's temple is. God's temple is eternal. It's as beautiful as it is a thousand years ago as it is today. Because it's part of, you know, who we are as God's temple. His church is beautiful. Is a holy bride set apart to be the buttress and uh, pillar of truth. Time is not going to affect God's temple, God's kingdom, God's family. I close with this quote from John Calvin. He says, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. By the grace of God, Ellington Baptist Church exists for the glory of God. We are a family of God. We are part of a spiritual kingdom we are a holy temple set apart by God so that others can see us, to see that God's kingdom does not wane. God's kingdom does not 
you know, all of a sudden gets substituted by some other God, little g, because he is the eternal God of all. He was before all things. There are no other gods before him created, the scriptures tell us. So as we look at our church family as part of this spiritual kingdom, as those that are set apart to offer spiritual sacrifices of worship acceptable to God, may that define who we are. May we never lose sight of Christ's institutions. May we never lose sight of the word of God. And by grace, glorify God through everything that we think, say, and do. Because we have the privilege of being part of God's family. So let's live like it. Let's have an impact here at Ellington and all the communities around us to stand on the truth. To not be ashamed of praying in Jesus' name. To not be ashamed of the word of God. To not be ashamed of our Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as the worship team comes up to the platform this morning, because we're going to be singing the family of God and thank you, Lord, as our closing songs this morning. And I think that would be an apt prayer for us uh, to sing, sing open, sing loud, sing as a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That means don't hold back. Lift your voices high, sing loudly the praises of our God.